Joining us on the How To Be 60 podcast this week, Olympic swimming legend Sharon Davis, who now campaigns for what she sees as fairness in sport. Maybe I'm always happiest being a battler. You know, maybe that's who I am. So secretly, maybe it's what defines me is the fact that I've always been a very competitive person from a very, very young age and I'm prepared to stand up and be counted. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Be 60, a look at life beyond the Big Six O with me, Kay Adams, and her. Karen McKenzie. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Good. I'm not allowed to mention. No, you're not allowed to no, mention. No, I'm not going to mention it. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Don't mention yeah, I'm, the, I'm good, I'm good. The cold, <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, well, I have to say it's it's a bit of a sad day. Oh, why? Well, I say I didn't want to confront you like this, but I suppose oh, you know, these things are better said face to face. I mean, we have known all along that we are different, you know, and that we do have different approaches to getting older. And in some ways that has been good. Right, but you begin to worry me now. I mean, you have crossed the line. I mean, you've just kind of gone beyond the pale. I mean, I've been looking at your social media activity. What are you mooching about, me? What are you kind of... Well, I mean, you're, you're shamelessly asking people to sign a petition... Oh, I know what's going ...to get potholes filled in. I mean, Jesus Christ, that is the last bastion of dullness. You're giving old people a very bad name. It's like complaining about getting your neighbour's cat peeing I, in your garden. And... Well, actually, I would do that as well. Not peeing, but pooing. <laughs> I have done that. I was really pissed off about that, actually. Well, no, this was something at my Nordic walking group that brought it up. Oh. I, did, I didn't actually sit there thinking, well, what can I complain? It meant to me. But he sent it around in the group chat. And do you know what? The very next day, out in the bite, and I thought, these fucking potholes are everywhere. Did you sign it? No, I didn't sign it. Why not? My name on that. We're trying to flog tickets for the Edinburgh Festival to get people to come and see us in a live show. It's not exactly a great advert when you're asking people to sign <laughs> petitions to fill in potholes. It's a problem. I find it a problem. <laughs> I will kind of um, flag up the Edinburgh Festival, but I have to say these effing potholes, they're getting worse. Oh, God, I know I sound so old. I can hear you myself. You sound very old. You're the kind of person who puts up a dummy policeman at the end of yes. the road to stop people going too fast. I've seen them. They're really good. And they catch you out. You actually do think they're a real person. You are in God's waiting room. You really, really are. God. Oh, my God. I do actually. I know sometimes I think. I know, but I have to say I'm sticking by the potholes. They are hellish <laughs> and they're getting worse. Do you not find that in your bike? Well, funnily enough. Oh, I mean... funnily enough. This is the kind of thing you see after the podcast. We'll start recording. Actually, do you know what? These potholes are right. Okay. Well, you've outed me. I, I have noticed them funnily enough because oh. I, I'm on my bike a lot more because this leg is still but killing how me. Is the oh, leg? my is the arthritis God, my kicked leg. in yet? Oh, because that will happen soon. Apparently, it's my adductor tendon. It's gone. Oh my it god, it's terrible. Sexy. Anyway, really, Doctor Tendon. That's your version of sexy. Well, yeah, it's just, just sounds. You're quite. really clutching at straws now, <laughs> <laughs> darling. Show me your Doctor Tendon. Um, no, so I'm on my bike a lot, Aye. and so I went out for dinner on Friday night, and I went on my bike. I think that's cool. Is that weird? No, it's absolutely. Not. I think it's the way forward. I have been out to dinner on my. Actually, I was to dinner on my bike. I just had two glasses of wine. And I cycled back and went into those, you know, those big fences that you get that are um, ground down by, they've sort of got concrete bits at the bottom to sort of keep them stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So temporary things. Yeah, right into one of them. You, you cycled into a fence? Yeah. That was good wine. And I only had two glasses. 
And I got off my, well, I clearly got off my bike. I fell off my bike, looked a big hole in my leg. God, I wish I'd been there. Back onto my bike, (laughs) back home and thought, there's too much grit in this. Cycled up to the hospital, seven stitches. Wow. I know. So at that point I thought, I'm not cycling back home then. I'll just leave my bike here. Oh my God, that is a proper injury. Yeah, so... (laughs) I know. But having said that, I have cycled on my bike, uh, having had a meal. So no, I think it's dead cool. You can still have maybe one drink and it's cheaper than a taxi and it's quicker than walking. I don't know. I was just, I was cycling there and I was meeting a friend. And of course, because I was cycling, I didn't particularly get dressed up. I'd been doing loose women during the day, so I still had a face full of makeup. (laughs) I just had my jeans on. And I thought, God, well, not that it's a sign of age, but you know, you used to go out for dinner, you get dressed up or whatever. And I arrived at the restaurant, bit sweaty, mm. looking a bit shit, mm. on my bike. I slapped my um, padlock and my lights on the table, and I could see my friend just look at me and think, oh, dear. Times have changed. The day is over. Yeah, the slippery slope. It is, isn't it? I wonder if it's because you go out more often and it's less of an occasion. Do you that's it? what it is? Well, let's just go with that. Shall we go with that? What What? what, what do you think's behind it? Lack think, of interest? I, I think we just can't be arsed anymore, to be honest. Restore my faith. Tell me something exciting. What have you been doing? Can I show you my magazine that I found? Oh, in right. Su- good, good. In the paper. Hold on a minute. A magazine? You found a magazine? No, 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 no. What? It was in the supplement. In the bush. On Saturdays. When you landed Sex in the life. Sex, Sex life. Sex life. Ooh. Uh, that was in Saturdays. Oh, it's, it's well thumbed. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm taking it home. Sorry, just scratched <laughs> you there. I'm taking it home. It's not staying here. Oh, How it's... to improve your libido? Right, okay. Right, I've, I've highlighted some bits. You are obsessed, aren't you? No, I'm trying to help you out. Don't, you don't you worry about me. When you've been with the same person for <gasps> 23 years. Can we first, hang on. Can we first say that Karen has actually got an orange highlighter pen and <laughs> highlighted parts of the sex supplement that she's found interesting? Yeah. And do you know what? It's written by a guy called Campbell. Oh, really? That's it might be Ian. As yeah. I was thinking. We've been together 33 years, actually. Oh, well, that's just a little typo. Right, so what have I got to do? Quite a lot. You might have to want to have a bath together. No way do I want to have a bath together. When you hit the menopause. Oh, listen, this is a little bit about uh, kissing. Too much saliva. That's a bit of a turn-off, isn't it? But don't you think when men get older, the problem is they don't have enough saliva? Have you ever... Depends how many teeth they have. (laughs) No, but have you ever, I met this guy, I said, oh God, I have to be careful. I was at university with him. Oh my God, he was handsome back in the day. And after 30 years, 40 years, Jesus Christ, we met up again. God, this has just come into my mind. And he was the coolest guy. Back in the day. Jet black hair. And, you know, he always wore really expensive clothes and he's done really well. He's he's like um, very sort of corporate world now. But the whole time, we had breakfast together. Uh-huh. That's very city, isn't it? Yes, it yes, is. You've been spending too much time in London, England. Yes, I, know. I was in London. I was in a club having breakfast. Uh-huh. And he had yogurt for breakfast. And I wish he hadn't because obviously... Oh, that, that, oh was that at the corner of his mouth? <laughs> mouth, mouth. Yeah. And uh-huh. that, that made him... He was even more claggy than he would other... Uh-huh. Because people dry up as they get older, it's a fact. And then it goes crusty. It went crusty. But in, as well as the yogurt on either uh-huh. side of his mouth, uh-huh. he had... Stop it. He's you know that little white just in the centre of the bottom of the Oh, God. Could you even, con- did you even remember anything you said? Or were you just too focused on this? I was transfixed. This? I was just transfixed by this little white dot of... Had you ever slept with this guy? In no, back in the day? I did not. So I, I wanted to, to be perfectly you? honest, right, but he right, wasn't right. interested in and me. And you didn't feel that you could actually mention... 
of the yogurt. Jesus Christ, I haven't seen him for 40 years. I'm not going to say, can you just do that? You know, you do that thing. Yeah, it's that fact. You start doing it to yourself, don't you, in the hope that they'll take the hint. Oh, my Jesus Christ, I've depressed myself. That sex manual, I was hoping would cheer me up, but now take it home with you. Take it home. Do you want to copy any bits? (laughs) No, not anymore. I'll send you pictures of it, of the bits that I think are relevant. Now, listen, we have the legendary swimmer Sharon Davis with us today, who first competed in the Olympics when she was 13 years of age. Can you believe that? No, I can't actually relate to it. That's amazing. Obviously, multi medal uh, winning at all levels. Famously missed out on Olympic gold at the 1980 Olympics, um, which was won by a nice German swimmer. Do you remember watching the time? No, I don't, but I remember the story. Do you remember the story? Yes, yes. Um, So now Sharon's very active in campaigning for fairness in women's sport. I'd Uh, still be angry about that. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe we'll find out if she is still sitting there going, (laughs) give me my gold. Um, Now, in the spirit of Sharon, Mm. I'm going to introduce a bit of a competitive element to the podcast. Um, What do I have to do now? No, no, I've decided that we should have one email, the email of the week, Give it a bit of production, a bit of razzmatazz, a bit of music underneath it. Oh, I don't know if I can do music under oh, it. Oh, God. I remember in Radio Scotland when they introduced music under the travel news. And it really, I am sounding old. You but are it sounding really old. really irritated me that I couldn't actually hear the travel news. That it was this. So how long have you wa- I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, right, I've been chatting 10 minutes and she signed a pothole petition and she really can't be bothered with music underneath words. It's just too noisy. No. Now this, oh, it's this word. It's this word. What is it that Lisa and Alex call me? It's... Um, Geriatric? No. <laughs> oh, nemomania. No, I'm going to come back to it. Oh, and it's mono- an intolerance of noise. Right, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm... We'll look that up. Yeah, We'll look yeah. that up it in might just come a back second. To me. Well, um... I'm so you're thinking of putting music under the... And a big build-up. Email of the week. Email right. of the week. Do-do-do. Right. What did you think? That's not going to kind of exclude people. No, it's, it's not, because what we'll do is with all the other emails, we love all the other emails, yeah. so every five or six weeks we'll just have a podcast with you and me and all the emails. All oh, right, right, fine, fine. Okay, fine, so right, we give okay. it a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's okay, all right. So that's we're gonna, fine, we'll fine. give it a go, and if you don't like it, if we don't like it, if you're out there and you don't like it, you can let us know. Right, um, that's fine. We do always love hearing your stories, how you're tackling the big six, so, so what's happening in your life, if you have made any big changes or maybe you've had big changes forced on you, Um the best thing about being 60 plus, the mm-hmm. worst thing, the mm-hmm. most surprising thing, the most challenging thing yeah, about being 60 changed? plus, the most rewarding. What advice would you give someone approaching the big 6 mm-hmm. Uh Podcast. <laughs> don't go in a bit potholes. <laughs> yes, don't go in a bit potholes. <laughs> Podcast at htb60.com. So are you ready for email of the week? It's from Morvan. Uh-huh. Okay. I am 60 in November this year. How do I feel? I feel scared, apprehensive, because it's a big number. But most of all, I feel grateful. I feel grateful to have been blessed to get to this age when some of my friends have not been afforded that luxury. I also feel grateful to have all the knowledge that I have now. And as they say, don't sweat the small stuff because it really doesn't matter. What matters is your health, your happiness, and they pretty much go hand in hand. Mm. It's good. Yeah, that is good. But do you know why I chose that one in particular? Tell me. And thank you very much, Mor- Morvin. Um, I was out with my pal, um, who I walked the dog with on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So he's, um, I won't tell you what age he is because he'll kill me, but he's 60 plus. 
Um, and we were just chatting, and he said that when he was young, he really imagined that he would turn into this really chilled older man, you mm-hmm. know, this just really laid back guy, mm-hmm. um, very avuncular. But now he finds himself getting angrier and angrier. He was actually contemplating buying stickers to put on the windscreens of badly parked cars. Oh, I could do that basically, as well. Oh, so I could probably quite like <laughs> your mate. Basically, say so you're a shit parker. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. But it's not good. No, I know it's not good. I mean, are, do we get angry as we get older? Or is it the, the world that we feel out of step with the world? Or Because really, I mean, Morvan's right. You know, you've got your health, you've got your happiness. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you get angry as you get older? Probably. I think I do. I do think you? I have done. Have you? Yeah. Oh, no, maybe more intolerant. Misophonia, that's that word. It's come well back done. to me. Intolerance. Right. And I think it's something like... and. And justified intolerance of noise. Mm. So if I start complaining with the music under the email. Well, never mind. Your HRT is kicking in, so that's good. <laughs> um, shall we see what Sharon says after yes. this? Yes. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I'm sitting here just giggling to you two about everything, to be honest with you. It really is, isn't it? It's such a cliche being 60. <sighs> I have to say, well, it was my birthday, November last year, 60, big 60. I wouldn't let anybody celebrate. All my friends kept going, let's have a party, let's have a party, let's do something. I'm going, no, <laughs> no, let's just quietly let the number slip by. Shall we? Well, that's so, exactly the way that I was. Karen was looking forward to it. I um, organised my own birthday party. Yeah. 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 In the bowling club, was it? <laughs> it was actually. No, no, the tennis club. <laughs> um, so why, why did you feel a bit kind of iffy about it, Sharon? I don't know. It's, it's kind of like your, like your email, you know, lady was saying. It's a big number, sixty. And actually, when you think about back when you were kids, people that were sixty, you really thought of them as being quite old. But I, I and, and I don't know. I'm sure it's what everybody says. But now that I'm sixty, I just don't feel that way. I don't know whether we have changed. I think we have quite a bit, haven't we? I mean, sixty-year-olds when I was younger didn't really dress the way that sixty-year-olds do nowadays, or do the things that sixty-year-olds no doubt you know do nowadays. I mean, I was at a rodeo last year, and I was you know. And, I'm not sure that my mum at 60 would have done that, but I don't know. It's It, it appeared a, a, a lot older than it feels now. But I think there's also what our um, rational self tells us, that we should embrace it and we should you know, be happy to sort of display our age on our face, etc. But then there's years and years of conditioning that tells you something else. And, I mean, God, you're a great example of that because, I mean, I, I was very aware of you growing up we're we're all the same age and you were very much in the public eye people were always commenting on you I don't know why people always wanted to comment on you because you're such an imposing figure you were kind of so successful etc um and well yeah you said stunning but and it's true and that's what everyone said so you've had that all your life it's a new strip of label though isn't it you know it really is it just sort of sticks they've got to come up with something and I suppose when I was competing I was really tall and, and yes I was blonde but it's just a label that comes with that tall and blonde thing, to be honest with you. And and it does create, I suppose, a little bit of extra pressure. Having said that, I've always been in the gym and I've always trained. And so it's a big part of my life. So I do still try to get to the gym three or four times a week. And I was listening to you guys talk about going cycling. I cycle, but I don't actually cycle out. So I don't cycle out to the shops or cycle out to dinner. You know, I will go for a, I don't know, a 40K cycle with my son, who's the youngest one, 16, and he loves to cycle. And, and I'll, you know, I'll do two thirds of it with them. And then I go, right, now you go off and go really hard and catch up me on this little bit here. 
but I, I'm not sure I'd be able to cycle off to dinner. <laughs> That's, I'm really impressed that you guys can do that because <laughs> I would arrive looking like some windswept person had been pulled through a hedge backwards. And I'm, yeah. A, we don't care what we look like. And B, she cycled into a fence and ended up in A&E with seven stitches only. So it wasn't entirely a successful venture. I'm going to show you my leg after the podcast. Oh, I look forward to Yeah, I can beat that one. I got knocked off. I was cycling with Danny Thompson and he knocked me off my bike and I broke my leg in four places. Ah. Potholes, they can be dangerous things. And the bloody potholes are a nightmare. I am 100% with you on that. I live in Wiltshire down near Bath. And um, our potholes are bloody awful, honestly. See, there right. you go. Your guy in the Nordic walking group is going to be so impressed. You've got Sharon yeah, Davis to sign <laughs> your petition for you. I'll be there. <laughs> so um, we, we are going to talk a little bit about, you know, you've been very much on public record uh, talking about fairness in women's sport. So we want to talk about that a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more about what his life is like in Sharon's world, what, nearly 60. And, and you say you've got a 16-year-old. I've got a 16-year-old as well. So yeah. we're kind of older mums. Yeah. So my eldest is nearly 30, 30 this year, and I've got a three-year-old granddaughter. So I am grandma. Um, she's gorgeous. Fridays is grandma day. Go off and eat ice cream and do things together that, that mum and dad don't let her do. And then grandma does, you know, all of those cliches again. And then I've got a 25 year old daughter who did track and field as well, but she's now down in London working in a PR agency, doing really well. And then my youngest is 16. Um, and he's playing his rugby doing, they all did, you know, quite a lot of sport, not surprisingly. Um, and yeah, two dogs at home, live close to bars, still exercise quite often. And for the last six months been knee deep in working on a book which is all about the challenges to women's sport and, as you mentioned, the things that I'm passionate about. But it's always been the fairness thing. And I think probably because of the whole East German stuff, which I had all of my sporting career, I just have this big thing about fairness. You know, it should be fair. Sport should be fair. And if it's fair for men, then it should be fair for women too. (laughs) And so it was never an anti-transgender situation. In fact, I've got friends that have got a transgender son. But it's it's a pro-female thing. You know, we've had to fight so hard for our rights and our equality, and we still don't have it in so many fields, and we certainly don't have it in sport. You know, we really don't. So your main focus is on fairness for for women in sport, and, you know, you've just said that you don't in any way want that to be taken as being anti-transgender, certainly. But that is the way that some people have interpreted it. There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's this very, very loud minority that think that, you know, their rights should be trumping other people's rights. And we all have to live together. So we all have to somehow muddle through with rights. And if biology obviously really impacts on sport, you know, Olympic medals are won by hundredths of a second. And if we can't remove that benefit the male puberty gets, then we're asking female athletes to start the event knowing that they have a known disadvantage. So that's like going into the race against East Germans, knowing that they're cheating and for the officials to go, yeah, that's okay then. Oh, don't worry about it. That's that's just how it's going to be. And that's just not fair. So it's about finding better solutions, whether that's an extra category, an open category or whatever. But for about three years, we weren't even allowed to have the debate. You know, we just got called names and shouted down. We weren't even allowed to present the scientific evidence. And so that's what I found very, very difficult. Um, I just thought, well, not enough people shouted during the East German era. And that went on for 20 years. For 20 years, the East Germans were allowed to compete using drugs and nobody stopped them. And I was not going to let another generation of young females just miss out. You know, I've got friends that that were forced behind three East Germans. No one's ever heard their names. The whole lives would have been different if they'd won the medals they should have won. What impact has it had on your life being so involved in, in this particular conversation? 
But it's been difficult. I mean, it's really impacted on earning capacity for a while. My mum sadly passed away about, what would it be now, four or five years ago. Um, and, you know, obviously after having to go through probate and all the rest of it, she, eventually I got some, my, my, my twin brothers and I got, you know, what our house was worth between us. And, um, and that money kept me afloat because work just disappeared because the agencies were scared to employ me because they got absolutely pommeled by the activists. They would ring all the charities I worked for. They rang the BBC daily. They rang every single company I had anything to do with. They just tried to make my life absolute hell. And it was only because I had this money from my mum um, because I felt so passionately about fair sport and about my particular history that I just thought, no, I'm just not going to be quiet. But Four years ago, I had a le- I sent a letter to the IOC, and there were 60 names on that letter, and every single one of those names you would recognize. Every single one of them was an Olympic medalist, asking the IOC to do the research first, and only five of that 60 have ever put their head above the parapet. Well, let's go back to that time then, and just to remind people how that un- unfolded. Um, you know, when did you become aware that the East Germans had a, a, an artificial advantage? Which has now been proven, oh, it's beyond doubt. Absolutely. There was, you know, there was there's been lots of court cases and there's been um, you know, people have been put in prison, they've had money awarded against them, the East German government. Um, obviously, you know, it was all you know, the West German government or then became the unified government. They've handed out compensation money. Um, and people have died. You know, the young girls that were given these terrible drugs, many of them have had disabled children, they've had heart problems. Um the, the girl, the lady that beat me, she has fertility issues because testosterone is is really bad drug for young girls to be given. Um, it causes all sorts of horrible side effects. And I went over and met her, and it's just it's just really sad because they've just kind of been abandoned. Really, uh, you know, it's all propaganda. So when did it? When we were aware of it, pretty quickly in the seventies. So they started handing out the drugs in a sort of late sixties, a sort of you know an experiment way. 72, they started to make inroads, massive inroads in 76 and 1980. So in the swimming pool in 1980, they won 90% of the women's medals and the women's women medals. They won 2% of the men's. And nobody was doing anything again. Well, this is strange. Isn't this odd that they are really talented in the women's races, but not very talented in the men's? You know what I mean? It was ridiculous. And they looked and sounded like fellas. They had very deep voices, poor skin, you know, very big muscle growth. Um, they were kept very separate from us. And there were always two victims. You know, I, I'm so, so cross at the IOC because it wasn't just people like me and my teammates that were let down. It was those young girls in East Germany that were let down, that we used as lab rats, you know, because they were just fodder. The moment they weren't, you know, they weren't prepared to go along with it or the moment the drugs stopped working, they just bring the next one along because they could make a 9% increase in their performance. When 9% would have put Petra Snyder, the girl that beat me, 16 seconds behind it, behind me, if I take 9 seconds off, 9% off her performance. So you have a very average athlete, you know, female athlete, and by giving them drugs from the age of 11, you can make huge differences in their performance. What was it like for you then meeting Petra Schneider? What conversation did you have with her? Just quite sad, really. Um because she was living in Dresden. Um, she you know, had a small flat. She had one little girl. I went over there when um, Gracie was about six months old, I think. And she was desperate for more children. She thought she couldn't have any more kids. It would be too much of a strain on her heart. She was already on quite a lot of medication for her illnesses. you know. And, and just 
yeah, like chalk and cheese, really, you know, with the life opportunities that we have. And, you know, there were so many successful East Germans, they really just disappeared off into the background. And when the wall came down, they were kind of forgotten. You know, and apart from these court cases, which went on in sort of late 90s, you know, none of the people that really were given given these these poor girls these drugs were ever really properly punished for what they were doing. They all just blamed the system. You know, they all just blamed everybody in the line. Oh, it's the people above me. Or it was people above them. Or it was people above them. I was just taking orders. And that's kind of, that was their get out of jail card. And you lost a gold, did you? Yeah, I won a silver. So I beat two of them because yeah, it was three in those days that were allowed in the race. And yeah, and, and so I don't have my gold. But um, a few years ago, my dad and my daughter took my gold medal off and had it plated and put it under the Christmas tree. <laughs> so I do have an Olympic gold medal. And when I take it out and show people, I always go, don't rub it off because I'll have to put it back on again. Because it's not just about the medal, is it? It's about the recognition. It's about the opportunities that might flow from yeah. that achievement um, uh, as well. Are you? Well, I was going to say, are you still angry about that? You, you've kind of moved. You've moved on, haven't you? I'm angry. It was, it was things weren't done at the time, and I suppose that's why I think. Well, I'm not going to let it happen again. And and you know, we did try to speak about it. We did. There was there was a, another American lady called Shirley Babershop who who spoke out, and Shirley won an absolute handful of silver and bronze medals at the 76 Olympics. And they hi- they called her Surly Shirley in America. And she mm. ends up being a postmistress and delivering letters for the rest of their life. She would have had six Olympic gold medals had she not been beaten by East Germans. And she ended up being a postie. Nothing wrong with being a postie, but when you've got six, you know, should have had Olymp- six Olympic gold medals, again, her whole life would have been different. And she was called Surly Shirley for moaning that she was beaten by someone, you know, by people that were cheating. So, mm. yeah, that's why... You know, and we look back with rose-colored glasses. We look back and go, oh, we obviously didn't know they were cheating, and now we really do. Well, we did. We absolutely knew they were cheating at the time, but nothing was done. It's so blooming difficult, isn't it? The argument that is presented to you from, you know, the trans community about inclusion, I I can't advance that because I think you have to be either a member of that community or a member of that generation because I am of your generation. I can feel your lack of fairness what I don't know is if it is the same argument. You know, I, I think there might be a younger person who is more involved in the trans community who would say, you're making a fundamental mistake by aligning these two causes. But it's the same result. So exactly the same result comes from exactly the same thing, testosterone in somebody's system and testosterone that females don't mm. have. And, and that, that's, that's it for you. It's very simple. It's got nothing to do with anything else other than the fact that it's a biological advantage that females don't have. And the races that were designed for females because, and it was called women, because when it was called women, no one ever thought that a, a man was going to identify as a woman. That's just become a, you know, a modern thing that was designed for females, people with female biology. And so whether we go back to going, well, then let's relabel these events, female, biological female, natal female, whatever we want to call it. Um, and then, you know, open and inclusive or male or extra, you know, extra categories or whether we create an extra games. You know, I, I know people in, you know, obviously in world athletics and in, in world swimming, they would do anything to try and help. You know, if that means helping to produce extra competitions, to officiate, to to grow them, to create leagues. So boxing, for example, boxing has said there's no way that we're going to allow transgender men, biological females to fight men because the men have said we won't do it. Because we'll kill somebody, mm. and then we'll be done with manslaughter. Mm. Mm. So they've said, well, we'll create extra leagues for you. And we'll do everything we can to, you know, to enable you to be able to fight each other, to be able to box each other. But we're not going to put a female inside of a ring with a male because somebody will die. Just to be clear, you have no issue with gender identity, however one chooses. No, not at all. Not at all. 
but I, I am a big believer in reality. Just, I mean, you, your history is obviously key to this and the way that you see it. So going back to, well, where are we going back to? Um, the late 60s, early 70s. When you, did young Sharon decided that she wanted to be a swimmer? Or good question, Kate. I mean, swimming found me, you know, because like at Olympic level, um, we all have to have the right body shape to fit the sport. You know, you are not going to have a seven foot gymnast, and you no. are not going to have a four foot basketball player. So, you know, when you're talking about the finite difference to be that good, you have to have the right, totally the right physique for it. And so, I. I have this really long body, short legs, big hands and big feet, which sound really unattractive, but it works really well when you want to swim. <laughs> and so I was doing riding ponies and, and doing school sports, um, doing ballet, and then I was doing swimming. And then I just got, my, you know, got good in swimming very quickly, and it sort of just took over. And my dad was, was quite a focused person as well, so he started taking over coaching. And then before I knew it, I was Devon County champion at 11, I did my first junior international at 11. Um, and I was off to the Olympic Games, as you mentioned, at 13, and, and it's never been any different, really. You know, I've done mm. 12 Olympic Games since then. Uh, my life goes in four-year increments, Paris next year. I like the way you said your dad was a very focused person. Uh, <laughs> a polite way of saying something else. Yes, he was quite tough. I fell out of a tree when I was 11. I put my arms down to save myself, and I broke both bones in both arms. So I walked home, walked into the kitchen, and I went, oh, darn, I think I've broken my arm, because there was nobody there to pick me up, so I just walked home. And he went, oh, for goodness sake, support it with the other one. I went, no, I think I've broken that one as well, Dad. So they marched me off to hospital, put plasters on my arms, which in the old days literally went from my wrist right up to my shoulders. You know, so I was like this. So a week had gone by, and my dad went, we haven't been training. And I went, well, I know. And he went, well, do you think the East Germans are training? And I went, well, I'm sure they are, Dad. He went, right, well, that's it then. So he stopped at Tesco's, and he bought a load of Tesco's plastic bags, and he wrapped my arms in plastic bags, and I trained for three months with two broken arms. Mighty. <laughs> oh, my God. But, but it wasn't. I wasn't in pain, and then there was nothing wrong with my legs. So fair enough, you know. But it, it, it's amazing what you can do when you when you have to. Would you have done that with your children? No, but I think that was part of it. Is because my dad honestly believed that a day lost was a day missed, you know, and that the day that the opposition had on you. And I think I've realised, as we as he probably has now, because he's still coaching and he's eighty seven. Bless him, my, my dad. And is that if you're not some of the enjoyment out of it? you knock some of the enthusiasm, you knock some of the passion. And so I think by the time I got around to winning my medal, you know, four years later in 1980, there was a part of me that just desperately needed to stop. You know, that it was all about, oh my God, I'm just knackered and I'm tired and I need to have my own choices for a little while. And if I want to lay in bed, I lay in bed. And if I want to go to a party, I go to a party. And all of that had been taken away from me because life had been so very organized for such a long time. So, I mean, what did your teenage years involve? I mean, entail, how were they? Uh, six hours a day, six days a week training. So two in the morning before school and then two hours of lamb work after school and then two hours again in the evening. You sort of missed yeah. out on teenage life as a normal teenager. Yeah. Do you know what's really weird though is you think at the time you are missing out on such important things because you couldn't chat to people about what you watched on telly last night. But actually 10 years down the line or 20 years down the time, you kind of go, did that matter what I was watching on telly that night? <laughs> And so it's it's about trying to look at the big picture. Um, luckily, I was training with a group of people, and then I was away at boarding school training where we were all making the same sacrifices together. And I did always like to win. You know, I, I think it's it's such a such a theoretical question: Are champions made or are they born? And it, and it has to be a little bit of both because you have to have that killer instinct. You've got to want to win very badly so that you are going to make sacrifices. But at the same time, 
you do need the support. What do you think your dad would have said if at 14 you turned around and said, Dad, I do not want to swim? I did. I did remember one time he tried to sell all my kit. So I remember, I think I was about 12 at the time, and I said to him, Dad, I don't want to do this anyway. I'd ho- overheard my mum and dad had a conversation about a washing machine. And I'd said, um, my mum said, we need a new washing machine. My mum said, dad said, well, we can't afford it. Chan's got to go here and do this and do that. And she needs a new this, that and the other. And, I, and so I felt very guilty. And I went to my dad and said, I, I want to stop. And so we took all my stuff, all my kit, all my medals and tried to sell them at the local swimming. <laughs> oh, my God. He was quite tough. I would definitely, would, he would admit to the fact that he was quite tough. An interesting balance, because you have been the child of of a very sort of dedicated dad, let's say, and and you've also been the parent. And to what extent do you allow the child to make their own choices? And that line between giving them some autonomy and support is so fine, isn't it? I mean, you could well imagine that you, Sharon, could have grown up at the age of 40 and in America probably sued your dad and said, actually, I didn't want to spend all those hours in a swimming pool. Actually, I wanted to be, I don't know, a, a can-can dancer, a marine biologist or whatever, and my life choices were taken from me. You could see that happening now. Yeah, I never felt that though. I always felt, you know, with like with education, I mean, I had, I was quite lucky because I did actually still have a very good education, but it is one of those, it's the social life that probably gave up, you know, that I lost. I always felt that going back to school, going, having social life could come after my sport, whereas sport is very time finite. You know, you're not going to be able to be the world's best at 45. You know, you, you have to take advantage of it when you're, when you're physically in the best form of your life. So so I kind of always thought, well, if I had to go back to school and get this piece of paper, if I wanted to go out partying more, all of those would come in the future. So it's trying to look at the bigger picture of it as well. But did you find yourself with your kids having to pull back a bit? Yes, I was always determined that I wasn't going to force them to do it. And I was never going to push as hard as my dad did. My dad pushed hard because he honestly thought that he was doing the right thing. It wasn't done maliciously. But with me, obviously, I had that advantage of knowing that, you know, if you push too hard, then you kill drive and and passion. So it was about finding the balance. But definitely not every day does somebody want to get up at five o'clock in the morning when it's cold and wet in the middle of winter and go training. However, if you want to be the best you need to go. So it's it's trying to find that, you know, that that understanding of there's no shortcut to the top in sport, you know, other than just the hard work. Hmm. Have you changed as a parent and grandparent? Because your eldest, you said, is 30-ish? Yeah, nearly 30. 30 this, this year. Right. And then yeah. you've got a 16-year-old, so there's quite a big drop. And then you've got a, a grandchild. Have you changed the way that you've parented, grandparented? I think I'm reasonably consistent, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, I mean, I love being grandma. You know, it's, again, it was one of those things about when, when Elliot announced that they were having a baby, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to be a grandma. You know, that's a really another big milestone that I'm not sure that I'm ready for. But actually, I love it. Because what she does, what Aria does for me, is she just makes Fridays all about the simple things. And it, back to that lovely email that you read out right at the beginning of the program about not stressing about the big things and understanding that that joy in life is often the simple things. It's not about how many possessions you have. It's about your health. It's about the people that you love being around you. You know, it's about going out for a lovely walk. It's about having the dogs to cuddle up with in front of the television. It's about having great friends, you know, and choices. You know, not having our choices taken away from us is a, is, um, a privilege. Mm-hmm. And do you think you've had enough of that sort of those simple things in your life? Because in some ways you could look at your life and think it's been a battle 
from seven years of age, whether it's a battle to be the best swimmer or indeed, you know, to be on television, you know, which you've had a very successful television career in comedy, which again, very competitive field. And then this new kind of battle that you're very much engaged in. You've got to be up there at the barricades the whole time. Yeah, but we are who we are, aren't we? When my mum and dad bought their first house, my mum's mum died when my grandma died when, I, when she was very young. She was 17. So my mum was an only child and she had the deposit for my mum and dad's house. And on the very first house that they bought, my mum wasn't even allowed to be on the mortgage. Mm. So, you know, we have come a long way with women's rights and women's opportunities. And right now, I just feel quite strongly that we're moving backwards. Um, You know, a lot of things have been put into place to give us those opportunities, to give us those safeguards. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose them. And it's maybe only the slightly older generation who knows what it feels like to not have them. But that's aware of what we might be doing stealth like if we're not careful. Would you rather not be engaged in this particular, you know, difficult battle at this stage in your life? I like keeping to sport because I know it really well. And I've spent a very, very long time understanding the science, speaking to a lot of really highly qualified people and knowing it back to front, inside out. I don't know. Maybe I'm always happiest being a battler. You know, maybe that's who I am. You know, I, d- I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> so secretly maybe it's what defines me is the fact that I've always been a very competitive person from a very, very young age and I'm prepared to stand up and be counted. And, you know, it's not about being popular. I honestly think as well that we live in a world where everyone tries very hard to please everybody. And in reality, we can't do that. And it's never bothered me. Mm. If I can't please all the people all the time, well, sorry, but, you know. Mm. <laughs> and does that filter into your personal relationships? Not really. I'm a very loyal friend and I've got, you know, really good friends and I keep my friends from, you know, long ago I, when you were talking about meeting your mate, you know, that you haven't seen for 40 years. I'm the same. One of my best friends was my roomie when I was 13 years old, when I went away, you know, so I, 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 I live in the countryside. I'm happiest walking with the dogs. I don't need to go to an opening of an envelope in London. I never have. You know, I don't need to be seen with the right people or doing the right things. I'm I'm quite confident in who I am. And that's kind of a country bumpkin that loves sport and is very passionate about my family and my friends. Sharon, shall we play Big Six or Bingo? Come <laughs> on then. Give us an average. All right. I will pick 35 because if I could pick any age to be all over again, it would be 35. Oh, well, 35 is, do you have a plan for the 60 plus years? Not really. I mean, I'm definitely going to go down fighting with regards to keeping in the gym, you know, and keep working out and keep falling off my bike and doing rodeos and going scuba diving. And and I love having a a younger son because actually he makes me, you know, stay a bit younger as well, which is quite good. So, yeah, just more more of the same, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, athletes tend to wear things out because that's the downside of any sort of repetition training. And then on gladiators, I snap my cruise shirt as well. So, you know, my knee's always been a big issue. And then I sort of broke my leg a few years ago. My shoulders aren't terribly good. So I'm holding everything together. But yeah, it's to, it's to fight it all the way, to be honest with you. <laughs> right, give us another number. Uh, 52. Oh, ever told someone you loved them when you didn't? That must be oh one of my God. questions. It <laughs> <That> must <laughs> be. I never put that you in. You see, keep it in a load of questions. I had offered some, but she dismissed them. So then I've just thought, so did you know what? I'm going to put some back in again. So there, that's one of mine. So it's a bit of, an, <laughs> bit of a shock to key. So ever told someone you loved I, them when you didn't? I don't think so. Really? I'm probably a bit straight talking for that. You've probably worked that out, haven't you? But um, I probably just don't say anything if I've got to that point. <laughs> 
I think, I think the most revealing thing there is that you said, really? <laughs> so I think we can prove that Aaron definitely has. Yeah, has. Nina and the end of various relationships. Then you know, you just think, God, it's easier to say that than not. <laughs> Listen, Sharon, Great. thank you so much. Know, thank you. You've been really generous with your time. All right, take care. Next week, Beverly Callar joins us on How to Be 60. After 33 years on the Coronation Street cobbles, Wearing Liz McDonald's dodgy stilettos, she tells us why she'll never go back.